Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love is no, is no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friend. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So we'll go ahead and stop there, but uh, really two things that really stood out to me in this passage, um, just the necessity and the nature of abiding in Christ. Talk about what that means, and then, and then, not just not just the commands here to abide in Him and to stay connected to Christ, but also um, the motivations to do that. He lists a number of things in this passage that I think are intended to motivate us to to the work of abiding in Christ. And so we'll we'll talk about both of those. But I want to just introduce it with a video by the one and only John Piper. <laughs> Just for your soul tonight, having heard this, you want to go home and obey. Okay, I'm supposed to abide. What do I do? 
There has to be something in our experience corresponding to these words. Hour by hour abiding in Jesus means hour by hour trusting Him to meet all your needs and be all your treasure. I'm just drawing out the implications of what happens when a vine is in a branch. I am here not by my big effort. Read the whole Gospel of John, you know that that is not the way it works. Believing on Jesus, trusting in Jesus, drinking from Jesus, eating Jesus, is faith in the Gospel of John. So, me to be in the vine is to rest there, trust there, draw down from there, stay there, receive there. Everything I need is coming from Him. I'm going nowhere but Him. That's faith. So that's helpful. Just a, just a quick, quick intro to the video here. Turn this off so it didn't keep playing. So how would you answer that question? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Don't just parrot John Piper's answer. Well, I think the word abide means to dwell. Your dwelling place is where you live. Okay, yeah. So living there, remaining there. Yeah. Continuing in Christ? Yep. It's true. Your dwelling, the place of your dwelling, Christ is where you are. To follow his example. Okay. Following his example would be an aspect of that. Yeah, that's helpful. Any hints from the passage? That's the nourishment. Yeah, so we're with, with the vine imagery, so we're drawing nourishment from, from Jesus, who's who's the true vine, we're just branches, so in, as a branch we don't have anything in of ourselves, so we, we need to draw the sustenance from the vine. Yeah, there's nourishment that comes from Him. Yeah? Pretty much what you just said, it's a connectedness. There's no separation that's abiding. You're just, like the branch, Like there is no connect, no disconnection. So you're abiding in Christ. Yeah. And you're disconnected game over. There's no more nourishment as you were saying. That's right. No, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Observe all that I've commanded you. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer of the word. Okay, so obedience, yep, is related to abiding in Christ. <clears throat> Fruitfulness would be the evidence. Fruitfulness is an evidence, yes. Yeah, so when we abide in Christ, fruit is produced. Biblical fruit. Mm-hmm. And I think like the result of that is like um, these things I've spoken to you that yeah. Yeah, these are that's a huge uh, huge result motivation we could say if we kinda of want to work it backwards. If you want that, then abide in Christ. Yeah, I think uh, you know, Piper has a good definition of, of believing Jesus or trusting Jesus to, to provide everything you need. I think it's helpful. Um, the way I like to think about it is it's maybe another way of saying that is um, abiding in Christ is cultivating a dependent relationship on it. Does it make sense? So, abiding in Christ is not the same thing as, as getting saved because, I mean, it's it's the same essence, you know, I guess a, a convert trusts in Jesus, you know, he's brought to faith in Christ, but he says you're already clean in verse 3 according to the word that I've spoken to you. So there's a cleansing uh, event that's already happened for these disciples. 
And if you kind of go back a few chapters, you would see that um, you know they're, Jesus is about to wash their feet, and Peter just can't handle that. And he's like, okay, I want you to, you, know, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you're not going to have any share with me, essentially in the kingdom. Uh, meaning this is what I do for my kingdom citizens. And uh, Peter, you know, kind of doesn't understand what's going on there. And he said, well, 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 wash my whole body. And, uh, and if that's the case, like, just go ahead and cleanse everything. And, uh, and he says, that's already happened. You just need your feet washed. Meaning, and I think there's a, a parallel idea going on here. We need to abide in Christ. Um, and it's an activity that we, that we do uh, with him. And so if you, if you keep going in this text, you see there's vine imagery that he really he sets out here for us to, to flesh that out, to flesh out what it means to abide. So you guys are hitting on that. There's nourishment that comes from a vine. A branch has nothing in itself. It's produced by the vine, and it's got to be attached to the vine in order to have any value at all. And so that's the idea is the abiding is the connecting back to the vine. And it's commanded, so it's something we've got to practice. Uh, it doesn't just happen kind of by default. So it's a thing that we've got to we've got to cultivate and be after. So I like to just think about it as, as cultivating a dependent relationship on Christ. And that happens, if you notice, um, in verse 7, he says, when you abide in me, and you would expect him to say, I abide in you. But what does he say? My words abide in you. So what does that imply? We're in his word. What's that? We're in His Word. We're in His Word, right? And so, abiding happens around what? What might we say? Around the Word of God. Around Christ's Word. So as He he dwells in us through His Word, as His Word, His commands, His truths, His promises, His warnings, all those things come in our minds, dwell in our minds, we're abiding in Christ, and the the fruit of that is is obedience to Him. So just just fleshing that out this morning and... and, uh, if we kind of get practical, like what does it look like in the day to day? It's definitely, you know, part of that is your time with the Lord in the mornings. You know, that as you sort of tune your instrument, tune your heart to the Lord, so that you can play in tune the rest of the day. Uh, that's that's definitely the idea. Um, but it's more than that, okay? It's it's any time if it's related to His words. We abide in Christ really all the time, but specifically at any time the Word is brought to us, whether that's. Meditating on it throughout the day, applying it to specific situations in your life, talking about it with the, uh, talking about Christ's words over the dinner table with your family, coming to corporate worship, sitting under the word, um, receiving that word. So anytime we, we intersect with Christ's words, we're abiding, we're abiding in Him. And obviously, the goal is to is to maintain that that dependent relationship with Him more and more and more as uh, as we're characterized by His words. And that's progressive. You know, we're working on that. That's part of the the sanctification fight. So, uh, so yeah. So, what does it mean to abide? I think just they're cultivating that dependent relationship in the Lord. And then, what in this text? Jesus doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us how to get there, or not. I shouldn't say how to get there. Motivations to help us get there. So, what are some things that motivate you out of this passage to to abide? What do you see? We've already talked about a few of them. To love one another. Okay, how does that motivate you? It makes me want to uh, be... It makes me want to change from the way I used to interact with others. Okay. To act as if I was better or uh, 
superior. Yeah. And I had that air about me before when I... But now I have to put them above me and act as if... Or act if... I can't... Act as if they are better than me. Yeah. Because... I need to strive to put others ahead of myself. Sure. And and I have I, I see in my past where I didn't do that. Sure. Where I did the opposite of that. Yeah. So I need to lay my pride aside and be humble around other people. Yeah, good. That's good motivation. What else from the text that you see? There's a fear there's a fear side <clears throat> if you don't abide, you're gonna be cast out and burned and yeah. There's a fear side. That's that's that can be a motivator. Yeah, totally. And so that might kind of create some dissonance with you. You might say, Well, I thought you were saying that it's not abiding isn't being saved, right? Like what what is this about? How can it how can you kind of lose this if you don't abide? I think if you don't abide, what that reveals is you were never cleansed in the first place. And so he's just looking at it more from the perspective of the warning saying, Look, if you're not abiding, you need to check. Uh, we need to, we we should be checking our our spiritual state there. I put yeah. just as a, a point of confusion, or it could be a point of point of confusion, is the little phrase in verse two in me. He says every branch in me. Now, if you're never been saved, you're not in him. Sure, I don't think we should press this language too far. I think there's a metaphor going on here okay. with the vine and the branches. And um, But yes, when we talk about that generally, we would say when you're in Christ, you're secure in Christ. But I think this language, you probably shouldn't press that too far here because he's not saying that you can lose your salvation. Well, I know that. Yeah. I'm a good Calvinist, so. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That, that, that does create a question. Yeah, sure. Sure. So what motivations? Talk to me, guys. What do you see here that, that you say, man, I want that, so I'm going to abide in Christ? Yeah. So God lays out a plan here if we want to have our prayers answered. Yeah. So as long as we're in His Word and His Word, the more it indwells us, the more power He's using, we, we become a vessel for His kingdom. And, you know, whatsoever we ask in His name, and that's a fountain of blessing. So, that's right. You know, as you bear much fruit, the more His Word indwells, the more you're in His will, and the more He's using you, and you see the fruit. That's right. That's totally right. If the answered prayer is a result of abiding in Christ, it says here in this, in this chapter. And so, you want your prayers answered in the sense that you want to see your prayers being effectual, like kind of James says, the prayer of a righteous man works much, or avails much. You want that. You need to be cultivating a, a, a dependent relationship on Christ where you are humbling yourself, you're dying to yourself, um, and you're embracing Jesus. You're rooting out the idolatries of your heart. And he says the result of that is going to be uh, fruitfulness in your prayer life. So that, that's that's a sweet motivation. Anything else? Joy. Joy. Yeah. yeah, joy. And not just, I mean, look, listen to this language. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you. So in other words, I've told you to abide. So that my joy, Christ's own joy, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So not only do you have fullness of joy, but it's Christ's own joy. The indestructible joy of of Christ Himself. And so, that's a result of abiding in Christ. So He's not not a harsh king, or harsh master, or harsh vine, if we can keep the imagery. He is very gracious, 
And his end goal for us is, is supreme joy of, of, in him. Joy in the midst of trials, joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so that's a huge motivation to, to get after the hard work of, of, of cultivating in a, a dependent relationship on Jesus. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, you just read sort of passages on fruit of the Spirit, other things like that, or uh, thinking through just the glory that brings to God to, to live a life that's transformed, that's otherworldly, that has the characteristics of the kingdom. And, uh, and the only way we get there is through abiding in Christ. And to put it more bluntly, he says you can't do anything. <clears throat> Nothing of eternal significance unless you're abiding in It's huge. Yeah. Um, keeping his commandments, uh, loving his word, and hating evil. Um, I'm just thinking of James 4 8, just now, um, drawing nigh, the King James, but drawing nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. you yeah. Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Sure, that's a huge theme in Scripture. You know, you, you, whoever seeks the Lord, he won't forsake him. And so, yeah, that's, a, that's a, another huge motivation. So. Yeah, there's more here. If you just keep meditating on this text, you'll see them. Um, but I, I, I just want to put this out in front of you. You know, as we as we kind of corporately meditate uh, together on on John 15 here, um, as we begin our time, just to kind of have that as a target in your mind, as far as what what's my aim, and as I'm as I'm communing with the Lord, as I'm as I'm opening my Bible in the mornings, as I'm coming to church, what's the goal? And just one way of saying it is, uh, is you're cultivating a dependent relationship on Jesus that will result in um, a lot of fruit for His glory. And uh, so it's good. So let's just let's just open our time um, to get to the lesson on, uh, in prayer. Father, sweet to uh, come before you with these men and just think about what you say in John 15. And uh, Lord, we want to be men to abide in you. Thank you that you cleansed us through faith in Jesus. Um, we belong to him. He's, you've, you've come to us. You've opened our eyes to embrace the gospel of Jesus. It's not foolishness to us anymore. It's not a stumbling block. It's, it's, uh, it's your power, your wisdom, your love on display to us and for us. And, and uh, you did that. You converted us. Um, you brought us to conviction. You helped us to see the foolishness of our ways. And so we, we praise you this morning as a result of that. And thank you that you set us apart. You cleansed us through the work of Christ to be zealous for good works, uh, to learn to, to continually abide in you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Um, you often just take me back to this text because I'm not abiding in you. And I, in pride, I elevate uh, myself to think that I don't need you, that um, that I can do prayer later, that I can meditate later, uh, that I can coast on yesterday's grace. And uh, Lord, just forgive me for that. Forgive us men as we um, just arrogantly say we don't need you. The, the truth that you provide for us in this passage is that we can't do anything without you. Uh, nothing unless you work. And so... That includes this this time, this hour. Thank you for, um, for Pastor Brian, his faithful leadership over this group and um, how he's instructed us already. And Thank you for this curriculum and um, your work in putting this together for us. And so, uh, 
uh, as we meditate on it together, as we as we work through some of these implications, we pray that uh, your Spirit would just inflame us to to love and cherish Christ and um, to get about uh, just following Him in uh, more diligently, more zealously. Uh, as a result, and so we ask it all in Christ's name. So today we're uh, we're wrapping up our first <coughs> series, uh, developing courageous churchmen. And so, just kind of in light of in light of wrapping up a series, I think it's just good to review where we've been, uh, see how it all connects. Um, yes. So the first study is entitled "Foundational Convictions." Foundational Convictions was the, the very the very first study. And you guys know, in that, in that study, it really opens up by saying, look, we, there's got to be some foundational things in our lives um, that the Lord needs to hammer into our hearts through, through the power of the Spirit. They've got to become convictional for us. Truths that we don't just give assent to, that we don't just say, yeah, yeah, yeah I believe that, and then we kind of go, go on. But we've, we've grasped those truths that become part of who we are and we'll die for those truths. And so... That's what, it, that's what we talk about when we talk about foundational convictions. These things we're not going to go away from and they guide our thinking um, according to the truth. And uh, that, was study, that was study number one. That's kind of where we started up front. And you, know, you can review that. I would encourage you to review that and, and think through how each of those, each of those items are foundational um, in the Christian life. So uh, we just... Uh, Flip over there, like how is how is having a working biblical literacy number one? How is that so foundational? Why should that be a, a foundational conviction for you? So just think through each of those points and how it how it relates to um, to the foundation and the convictions that we want to be developing. That flowed into to study number two on page seven, which is entitled discipleship. Discipleship. And in that study, it just kind of laid out um, that discipling is just helping others know and follow Christ. And so if, if convictions are the starting point, then we need to be developing those. <coughs> Discipleship is how we help others develop the biblical convictions and live by them. Make sense? So we want to be developing convictions in our own hearts, and then discipling is how we come together with other believers as God intends and, and help them develop convictions, help them learn to abide in Christ, and we do it together. We want to live live by those convictions. And uh, we know that discipleship is for every Christian, according to Matthew 28. It's not like some higher calling. Uh, it's part of what it means to become a part of what it means to become a Christian. We become a disciple, and disciples disciple, right? We we make more. And yet. Uh, when we just get honest, I know at least I had a, kind of an honest inventory several years ago. Like, how am I doing in in this area? You know, just making disciples. Uh, there's often just a lack of it in the local church, um, in in our evangelical church culture. And so, uh, the curriculum goes through some reasons why that is, why we uh, why we don't practice discipling like we should. And so, any, do you remember any of those kind of off the top of your head? Did any of them stand out to you? Typical reasons why why discipleship isn't happening? Sometimes fear. 
Fear. Feeling in, uh, incapable. Okay, fear or feeling incapable. Why, why would we feel that way? Lack of knowledge. Okay, lack of knowledge. So, get more specific there. Do you not know anything? No, we're not, we're not in the Word, so we're not comfortable. So, we're afraid we're going to mess up. Okay. So, that implies that discipleship means you don't mess up. <laughs> no. But, but does it? I'm, I'm asking the question, honestly. Does that mean, is that your thinking? Like, I don't want to mess this up, so therefore, I'm not going to disciple. Right? I'm just pressing in here. When we say knowledge, like, okay, we lack knowledge, but it's like we're sitting in services week in and week out for years. It's like, do we really lack knowledge? You know, what's what's underneath that? Fear, fear, failure. I think it's important. We've got to identify these things. We've got to be honest about it. If we think discipleship means I don't fail. I don't get something wrong. My life is perfect. So therefore, I can't call anyone to follow me unless I'm perfect. That's because of using right. the I. You just did 15, which says if you abide, that's right. then that's what produces the fruit, which mm-hmm. is the same as discipleship. So when you disciple somebody, it's not you discipling. It's God discipling through you that's and right. using you. That's so right. it's a matter of just being used. That's right. Yeah, yeah totally. Awesome. Being used. Good. So there's some fear there, and uh, I think that's helpful. <laughs> helpful to identify why we're afraid. Yeah. One of the reasons is, you know, we kind of use the excuse that we're busy in America and all of that, but um, the core issue, if you get under that, the surface, is that most of us, like you were saying, brother, draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. The more we fill ourselves with the word, the more on fire we get. Sure. And the more on fire we get, the more we want to share it. Sure. And it's a direct, proportional relationship. The farther we are away from God... The less desire, the less this Holy Spirit is shining. It's like that ember that goes away. But once we get into the Word, and especially if you're doing it daily, and it's that foundation, it's building, and it's like a rocket ship taking off. And once you get going on that course, it's hard to get off. But if you're if you never ignite the rocket, if you're not close to the Lord, um, then you're not going to have that fire. Sure. Yeah. It's good. Jesse. Yeah, going off what Jim said, I think it's just reticence, you know, selfish use of time, um, busying our lives with other things uh, to make discipleship right, a priority. Okay, yeah, right, good. So what is busyness? What's under that? Like it, what? Like you just said. A misprioritization. I, I do not value <coughs> discipleship as I value other things in my life, like work or... Worldly ambitions. Okay, yeah, so... Super important to see that, right? That just not to say I'm busy and then let that go is like a valid excuse to disobey the Lord. So I know when you put it that way, you're like, oh gosh. <laughs> but I mean that's what, essentially what we're saying. So busyness underneath that is a misprioritization, which reveals what? Selfishness. Okay, selfishness, yep. Idolatry. Idolatry. So there's something that you want more than being obedient to Christ. So you start you start getting down to the roots of this stuff, and it, it gets pretty serious pretty fast. So we, we need to be doing that work, that cultivating, and getting down to below the surface of maybe why we're not doing this, and examine those examine those reasons. And I think he kind of ends with disobedience here in number four, but that's that's it. I mean, that's when we boil it down, 
we're being disobedient to, to Matthew 28. Now, I say that because I know that, that might sound a little harsh, but there is an element where it, it feels like, man, especially if you're a new believer or a younger believer and you're kind of getting into the discipling flow, you're like, I don't have a ton to offer. You know, it's like you feel that. And I think that's that's an appropriate mentality of just humble. You know, you want to be used by the Lord, you want to be helpful, but you just feel like you don't have a ton to offer. And so that kind of segues into this next this next thing. Just again, by way of review, what what is a a discipling relationship? Well, what 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 are the components here that he lays out? We're just just reviewing imitation. Okay, imitation. So there is an element where, as you're learning to grow in Christ, you're taking others along in that growth, right? That's all it is. As you're as you're identifying. Let's just say, Jesse, you said, I used to think I was too busy for discipleship. And I began thinking through that, and I realized, man, my life's not prioritized the right way. And I began to think about that, and the Lord revealed an idol in my heart of work, because I want money. And so I'm putting that above everything else. And I learned how to repent of that. And here's some truths that I used to repent of that and grow in Christ. And now here's how I prioritize my life. There's a ton of young guys that need to hear that. You know what I mean? And to have week after week, Jesse walk him through that, the way that the Lord worked in his own heart and life. And that doesn't, I mean, you don't have to be a spiritual fruit tree to be able to do something like that. You can pray for other people. You can have a burden for their souls and be starting to cultivate those relationships with other people where we care for them. And so, just out of the gate, just want to just kind of hit some of this again. Uh, it, there is an element of, of, we're calling people to imitate us as we imitate Christ. But that doesn't mean we have to be perfect, like you were saying earlier. Um, it means that we're growing and we're calling others to imitate that, that growth. And so uh, that's really, I think, the, the essence of a discipleship relationship like we learned a couple weeks ago. But the reason I'm kind of going over this is I want to connect it all to where we're headed today. So foundational convictions was the first study. Second study is discipleship and kind of how we work those convictions out with each other. That Christ has designed us to be interdependent in this pursuit. And then last week we looked at study three, the raw materials, and every single one of us was convicted to the core, uh, as we should have been. So, as these foundational convictions really take root in us, and we begin to disciple and invest in other people, and this this culture develops among us where we're in each other's lives, we've got each other's backs, we know each other, and we're, we're helping each other. What God begins to do in an environment like that is He begins to powerfully start raising up leaders in a congregation. Um, leaders out of that group. And we all want to aspire to be leaders because we're men, right? We're, we lead in various various spheres. And so we all want to be aspiring to some measure of leadership and faithfulness in that and thinking through how God would, would want to use us in our families or our single dorm room or, or in our grandchildren's lives. So we wanna we want to be aspiring to that. But really out of that culture, out of that discipling culture, the Lord begins to raise up raise up leaders who will be future elders in his church, future deacons, future Sunday school teachers, those kinds of things. Um, and so the third study that Pastor Farrell took us through last week was the all of the qualities, what we're we're calling the raw materials that 
guys like him, Pastor Farrell, experienced that, Pastor Brody, others that are, are they're scanning the congregation, looking for these kinds of qualities in, in the heart of, of a man who wants to be a leader. And they're the same kind of qualities that we're, as leaders, trying to cultivate and, and progress in, in our own hearts. You know, and if you ask any of these guys, Pastor Brian or, or Mark or anybody, they would all say, no, no, we're, we're still cultivating these things um, in our hearts. So, uh, we're not going to go over each one of those, uh, but just those are the, the raw materials here that, that uh, need to be in our lives. We're going to be faithful. And so, how many of you did your homework? Raise your hands high. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Okay? Good. Okay, so that helps me with, with homework this week. Do your lesson from last week. Right? So, I did it too. And part of the homework was to take these ten qualities and go over them with either a close friend or a spouse and have them rate you on how you're doing these qualities. So, uh, so that the very act itself was helpful. I don't know if I don't know how often you guys do this with with your wives, but uh, super super helpful. So, um, if you haven't done that. Do it, and and we'll, we're going to follow up on that again out of out of today's today's lesson. So, um, any of you guys that did do that, was there a particular area that the Lord um, identified in your heart that you wouldn't mind sharing with the group? Maybe that the Lord identified through your wife or friend through, through your through my wife. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I knew that I didn't have patience with other people, and and, and yeah. I told her that. And when we got to the next one, uh, knowledge of limitations, uh, she she helped me to see that I do have problems with my limitations as far as time, particularly in uh, thinking that I can do all things, yeah, physical and mechanical that sometimes I can't always do. But yeah, that there are. She helped me to see several in several areas, but that's one particular area that she helped me to see. Yeah, good. When you bump up against something that you can't do, how do you respond to that? Uh, Again, in your mechanical thing you just described. I, I, I clean it up and I go back at it tomorrow because I can do it. Yeah. I can do it. I can tear it up. <laughs> it might cost some more money, but we're going we're gonna to tear that thing up and we're going to put a new one in. <laughs> right, right, right. That's good. That's good. Excellent. Good. Well, I'm glad. That's the Lord... Glad you, glad you identified that area. Cultivating humility in that area—that's that's helpful. Knowing your limitations is so important in leadership because we're, we're all purposely gifted and we're purposely limited. Pastor Brian tells that all the time, and it's so helpful to hear that. Anybody else want to share? Yeah. Six. <laughs> Number six. Graciously accept criticism. Um, outwardly, it's so easy to put up. Up front, where it's just like, oh, great, yeah, give it to me. But my heart is just, you know, I sit and think about, like, I, I'm so cold, like, I don't, I don't want to accept what I'm hearing. Yeah. And it takes a while to just, I'm really sit down and really think through, like, I have to be preaching to myself, like, sure, okay, this is your friend here, come on, calm down. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and after a while, like, the Lord does His work, but initially, it, it doesn't settle well for me. Right. But it doesn't. No, I don't, it's, yes, and I think that's common to all of us who are sinners. Uh, it's hard to hear criticism. 
even when it comes to us packaged the most sweet and sincere way, it's still our hearts are start just justifying why, you know, that's our first response typically is to start justifying why we're right in this area and why they're misinformed or they don't know the full story or, you know, then we start getting into number two, not expe- not accepting responsibility for failures and mistakes um, and blame shifting. So, not super helpful. I, I think that was one that the Lord really pointed out to me in a, in a couple ways. But like you're saying, it's, a lot happens in your heart in those moments where outwardly you may not, you may respond fine, but in your heart you're you're processing that really how did it. How did that land? Is that you carrying baggage with that? You know, are you resenting those people? Are you resenting that person for the criticism? So good. Thanks, John. Thanks for sharing that. So yeah, just I would encourage you to, to do that. That and I just want to emphasize again, the act in itself is an act of humility. Right? Right. So the fact that you're saying Will you evaluate me? You know, <laughs> like that that uh, right. that act in itself is is a, a form of, of humbling yourself. So, uh, super helpful. And so we're going to just transition over to our, our fourth study today. Uh, this is a shorter one, which gave us some time to, to review. And study four uh, is just entitled "Making Granite Out of Clay." And now you all know why Pastor Farrell chose me to teach this. Because he's trying to make some granite out of poor little clay here. Uh, Totally. He's been at it for a long time. So this this lesson is just essentially uh, a follow-up from the the raw materials here, saying, okay, we want to be cultivating the raw materials. And it's just sort of highlighting that that there is a need always in the church for good and biblically qualified leadership. Um, if you were here on Sunday night uh, this past week, I was, Acts 14 is just in my mind because we just taught it in, in college group, just taught it Sunday night. And so you saw we saw there that, that the installation of elders in the churches is of primary importance for the Apostle Paul. It's, it's, in fact, he didn't consider the mission work finished until he had seen the Lord raise up elders in the church, and so that implies that, that the elders are a vital, solid good church leadership is vital to the health and long-term growth of the church. And so there's always a need, um, there's always a need for qualified leadership, and if there's a sound philosophy of ministry in a church, that philosophy of ministry is going to be giving some significant attention, time, and money to raising up leaders, because they perceive the need and are going to get after that. And so, uh, super thankful for how our church prioritizes that in various ways and, uh, and really gets after that from, from what we're doing here all the way out to how we think about missions and how we're investing there. So, uh, very, very just sweet gift to the Lord to have done that here at TBC. And so, we know that Christ is the head of the church. We're not saying that elders are in any way rivaling Christ. Uh, Christ is the head. He mediates His rule, though, through the church, through His Word, through a a faithful plurality of elders, through a faithful pastoral team, if you will. And so, um, so if that's if that's the case, kind of like discipleship. So discipleship's mandate is very clear. We know we're supposed to be disciples and discipling, but we don't do it. Um, If we see this mandate in the church, okay, we're supposed to be raising up leaders and cultivating leaders. Why isn't that happening? Like, what's the... 
but typically when we just sort of survey modern evangelicalism, why isn't the church um, getting after it? Why is it so difficult to raise up solid, godly men who can help shepherd the church? And so today, really, the lesson is about looking at a few of those common reasons uh, why it can be difficult. Um, and so, the first reason, we'll just kind of jump right in here that, that the curriculum lays out for us, is there's just a general struggle with sin. Okay? Sin is powerful, uh, more powerful than we often realize, more latent in our hearts than we realize, and, and so... You know, as, as a leader, you know, you kind of come into a church, you're excited, you're preaching, you're trying to be faithful, and it just doesn't seem to be happening, you know, uh, raising up leaders doesn't seem to be happening. So, I think the struggle with sin, we often, we often minimize that, and really, at the, at the outset, Ephesians 2 and in other passages tell us that men are dead in trespasses and sin, <coughs> and so you're not going to be raising up anything if it's dead, right? So... <laughs> Many times our, our churches are kind of filled with with carnal Christians because we've, we've shored off the, the edge of the gospel. And so people profess Jesus. They, have, they name the name of Christ, but they don't really have a desire to follow Him. Or they think maybe I can be saved, but not be serious about discipleship until later. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a secondary type action. And so I'll be saved and be carnal and be like the world. And then one day I'm going to get serious about about Jesus. And those people become members, and that begins to affect and sort of influence the way we think about church. And so, but just to put it bluntly, there's, you know, when you look around sometimes for men to invest in, the first problem we might encounter in a church is that it has an unrege- a largely unregenerate membership uh, because of this, this gospel that's been watered down um, and the, the demands of Christ aren't put, you know, put out there. And so, this is obvious stuff for us, but it's impossible to raise up a leader unless they've been born again. And so a healthy ministry is going to give attention to the doctrine of conversion. It's going to give attention to the gospel, making sure that it's, it's not capitulating in any of those areas. Um, it's going to be serious about sin and God's judgment um, of sin. And the call to repentance is going to be clear. And so... Uh, you know, the first really roadblock in the struggle of sin is the men are just dead in trespasses and sin, and that's 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 pretty self-evident. Um, another one, you know, kind of getting in our, our lunchbox here is uh, men lack personal holiness, and that is a that's a hindrance to to raising up leaders. Men lack personal holiness. Well, it all starts here, doesn't it? In, uh, in our Christian life. It starts with our pursuit of Christ and our imitation of Him and, and cultivating Christ-likeness. And if we don't know how to bring the Word of God to bear in our own lives, we have, we're going to have we're going to be of no help to other people. So we're not going to actually be able to give them answers, give them help and hope, because we ourselves aren't practicing the thing that we want to see cultivated in, in others and in our leaders. And so our, our professed theology, you know, we say we believe certain things, but it's not matching up with, with what we're actually practicing, and so we've got to give attention to that. Like, yeah? Like, I, there's not a lot of emphasis, unfortunately, in the evangelical church on personal holiness at all. And I think you see this, 
or at least I notice it, especially in those who are celebrities, be they athletes or singers or whatever, uh, they will talk about a faith in Christ. Never, and I, I can't think of an exception where I've heard any of them talk about the fact that that their goal in life is to develop holiness in their character. Yeah, they will talk about all the struggles in their career that Jesus got them through and help them to attain this position that they enjoy. But I have yet to hear any of them talk about their struggle with developing holiness of character, be they male or female. And unfortunately, the uh, the evangelical church at large embraces that attitude that, that Christ is here to serve you to uh, and to see that, that you're happy and that you're fulfilled. Uh, and we wouldn't like to admit it, but I think sometimes more evangelical churches are, are, are more Joel Olstein than they would ever want to admit they are. Sure. Yeah. And we got to be, be so careful that that's not latent in our hearts, too. Yeah. Um, that we're working against that. And. We're taking these pastors seriously because we can't change the evangelical culture, but we can change our lives. Right. Uh, and we have a responsibility to change our lives, and God's going to hold us accountable for that. And so, and that's how that's how a church changes is when individuals start taking seriously these these kinds of passages. And so, while we need to evaluate the culture for sure and the evangelical culture, we need to be focused um, particularly on on our own lives here and make sure that we're men that are that are progressing in in holiness. And so, uh, men just lack that, and if, if you lack it, um, you don't have anything to lead others in, and um, and that could be a, a real reason, you know, if a pastor comes into a church, looks around, and men aren't serious about holiness because, you know, they've got a wrong theology, functionally, and so uh, they're not living what they believe, and so that's going to be a detriment to, to raising up godly men. And so, just beyond that, you know, if we just kind of particularize this a little bit, do you know your particular sin struggles? So could you identify that? Could you identify the idols behind those sin struggles that you're actively working to, to crucify, repent of, and to embrace Christ in that area? Um, do you know how to bring God's Word to bear on those issues? Do you know the passages that you're going to go to? Are they in your mind <coughs> and guiding your thinking? Can you counsel yourself in the Word? You always need somebody right there beside of you to, to help you know what you know what scriptures to go to and those kinds of things. So, just ask yourself some of those questions, and that's that's really getting at the at the roots of okay, am I actually trying to cultivate holiness in my life? Am I actually trying to cultivate Christ likeness? Um, is it hard for me to ask my wife to evaluate me in these areas? Um, do I want to do that? Am I serious about that? Um, do I really want to grow? If I really want to grow, what's that going to look like in my life? So. Uh, don't assume that this is not you, because this is this is us in a, in a number of a number of ways. So that's a and that's a that's an impediment to raising up raising up men. Uh, C here, point C. He says men don't trust God in times of testing, and that also is an impediment 
to raising up to raising up men. So we just need to ask our question: How how is that related to to leadership? Why is that why is that important? Well, when we don't choose to trust trust God, we don't we choose not to to really act on what we say we believe. In the moments where God brings a trial, He brings a test, He brings an opportunity for us to really solidify what we believe and grow or not. Um, when we don't trust God, Christ-like character isn't formed. So if we want to grow in holiness, typically one of the ways that God escalates that process is by turning up the heat in our lives and forcing us, kicking out the, the things that we're, that we're hoping in, any false hopes. He often tears down our idols for us through through trials and suffering. And it's his instrument to really grow us in, in the trial. And his goal is to teach us to, to hope fully in him. Right? You think about Paul whenever he's in 2 Corinthians 1 says that we were, you know, we were brought to the point of like total despair, you know, but it was the Lord crushed us so that we would hope in him. We would we would hope in the God who raises the dead, is kind of what he says there. So the purpose of a trial is to is to really cultivate that that character in us as we choose to believe God in the midst of it, uh, and when that faith is solidified, is purified, and so if you're resenting the Lord and you're choosing not to trust Him in these times of testing, and you're just just grinding it out in resented frustration, you know you're 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 bowing your back up against God's school for you, and and really. The, the road that he wants to take you down in order to cultivate the character that's necessary for leadership in various areas. And so, uh, often we're just not trusting God in those times of, of testing. So, um, just an encouragement to you to, to renew your mind in that area and, and identify those, those areas maybe that are hard for you. Not neglecting, I'm not saying that these things aren't hard. They are. Um, but identify those areas and say, how does God let me think about this particular area and what fruit could be produced in me if I trust Him in this area? So, because it's His choice instrument. Uh, point D here, another reason that sin's an impediment is that men have neglected the spiritual nurturing of their families. And so, if it starts a personal holiness and that holiness begins to take root in our lives, we're going to see it come to bear in our families is we're learning how to sort of awkwardly shepherd the people that are in our care. <laughs> and sometimes it's awkward, you know, uh, as, we're, as we're learning the ropes there. But the converse is true. If you're not growing in holiness, if that's not important to you, and that's not part of your priority, then you're not going to be shepherding your family well. So you're going to neglect that. You're going to neglect the spiritual nurturing of your family. You're going to sense your own hypocrisy. Um, you're going to be insecure, uh, you know you're not really living for Christ, and so it's hard to call somebody somebody else to live for Christ, and that's not your priority. So why should you try to implement that in your wife to make that her priority? And you see what I'm saying? Like it's just you're, you're just not going to go there. So um, as men, I think we've often reduced our role to provision only. Now, what do I mean by that? We think I should provide for my wife, therefore I'm a faithful husband. I mean, that's a huge part of it, right? That's a huge part of it. But beyond just mere provision physically, it's also provision spiritually, provision in multiple areas. And so um, the Lord calls us to to be actively involved in our, the lives of our wives, in our, our children, our roommates, if we have those. 
And you know, neglect here is really gonna is really gonna make us weak and make leadership weak in the in the church. Because the qualification one of the qualifications of an elder is that he knows how to manage his household well, that he knows how to care for his children well, um, he's faithful to his wife, he's a husband of one wife, meaning he's he's faithful to her. Uh, not just that he doesn't cheat on her, but that he's he's faithful to her in, in every you know in all the ways of, of cultivating, investing in her. And so, and as a result, she is fruitful. So she's she's a fruitful vine, so to speak. Um, and your children are, you know, obviously, I get this, you know, it's a little nutty around my house, but your children start begin to learn to obey authority because you're consistent in discipline, and you mess up all the time. I get it, I mess up, but over over time, there's consistency, and the children begin to respond to that, even if they're not regenerate, and you exercise a measure of, of control there, and that's just that's just the training ground for, for leadership in the church. Because if you're not willing to confront your family, you're not willing to confront your kids, um, you let your wife lead you, and I'm not talking about domineering her, I'm just saying you, she calls the shots in your life, and imagine trying to rebuke a false teacher in the church. You're not going to have the you're not going to have the spiritual fortitude to be able to do that. Um, and that's, that's really what the pastoral epistles say. That's kind of their, their argument. So, the neglect of nurturing your, your family has a direct impact on the, uh, the failure to, to raise up leaders here. Um, point E here, men have not maintained a, a clear testimony for Christ in the world. Again, that's just another outflow of, of your own lack of personal holiness, is that you... You may be idolizing greed and money, so you cut corners, you know, in your business or whatever those things are, and you're, you're not really obeying Christ in those areas. You don't want to. You have, you have another God functionally, and so um, and that the world sees that, and it, it really, uh, to use Titus's words, it doesn't adorn the gospel. It, uh, it re- the word of God is reviled as a result of your behavior in the world, and so. Um, so that's, a, that's another reason that uh, this, this struggle with sin is really big. And just generally point out, men haven't given their lives in service to the body of Christ. And men aren't devoted to Jesus. They don't have a good ecclesiology, meaning that they're not under, they don't really understand clearly the role of the church and how they're supposed to be participating in that. And so they're not giving of themselves. Again, like Jesse said earlier, it might reveal a misparization. So those are just in brief uh, how the struggle with sin, from all the way from the spectrum of being dead in Christ, dead in, in sin, all the way to to not serving the church. That struggle with sin just really impacts our ability to to raise up leaders in the congregation. And so, where do we start? We start with with a body in Christ, getting after being personally holy before the Lord and cultivating that in our, our own hearts so that we have something to give our families and that we have something to give the church and discipleship um, as we grow in Christ. So, wanted to spend most of our time there in number one, uh, and we can hit number two, three, and four real quick, or the rest of these actually pretty quickly. Sometimes in a church culture, there's great content without shepherding. <clears throat> All he means here is that you know, you're teaching all the time, and then you kind of the pastor kind of retreats to his office, or you know, it's Sunday morning, and he's just he's not with the sheep. He's not modeling what a life looks like 
it's devoted to Christ because he's he's you know excluded. So the the lie here that we believe is that we can train others with just a syllabus. So uh, we can think, okay, grace and granite, done, like check that off. But in reality, um, we've got to model the truth and and really engage with each other and help each other walk through this this process together, applying it together, being patient together. And so it would be similar, he says, to preparing a world-class meal and then uh, not knowing how to, like, your digestive system doesn't work. And so it kind of gets in, and like my six-month-old, and it gets down there and starts rumbling around, and then shoo, <laughs> comes out, comes flying back out at us. You know, we're ducking. So uh, we want to be digesting that that food. And, uh, and pastors, teachers, shepherds, people who are in leadership are called to come alongside and be life-on-life life, uh, modeling what we're teaching. And so sometimes that just gets neglected because that's hard, it's awkward, um, and it's we're not really sure how to do it well. So we want to make sure as leaders we're not just teaching with no modeling. Make sense? Number three, uh, sometimes, on the flip side, there's great shepherding. So the pastor's among you all the time, he's visiting your houses, but he's not in the study. You know, he's not he's, he's not keeping his rear end in the seat, so that he can he can actually find biblical answers and bring them to the people that he's trying to shepherd. So imagine just the the silliness of trying to to, to take somebody somewhere and you don't know where you're going. Um, that's that's shepherding without content. Um, so we can we can have the greatest relational pastor or pastoral staff, but if they're not actively uh, being diligent, being a workman approved, um, those kinds of things, then then they're they're not going to have anything to share. So, as leaders, we've got to be careful not to to overreact to say, okay, well, I've got to be with the people, and therefore I neglect my study, which is really the fountainhead, the the, the truth that's going to produce the change. We don't produce any change in and of ourselves, right? We can't do anything apart from Christ's words. So we've got to have the words of Christ in our shepherd. <coughs> so we just got to work. All of us are different. And so in leadership, we're going to have propensities toward one or the other. You have a propensity toward the study because you don't really like people that much or that's harder for you. Or you have a propensity toward the people because it's hard for you to study and be disciplined and diligent in that. So we've got to be working our weaknesses and really trying to cultivate uh, a holistic approach to leadership. Uh, number four, uh, sometimes there's a, just a lack of courage and perseverance in this work of raising up leaders. A lack of courage and perseverance. Um, you see that a lot. You know, a guy will come into a church, start a leadership training program. It'll be really exciting. 60 guys, grace and granite. And then a year later, it's five guys. You know, and it's just trickled off and it loses steam. Pastor starts getting discouraged. The guy who's leading starts getting discouraged, and so you know trials come in. There's other demands, time demands. So if it starts becoming inconsistent, maybe the pastor's discouraged. Or he's not preparing as well, and then that just begins to sort of trickle off. And so there's just really a lack of spiritual courage and perseverance in that because God's really the one in control of who's coming and who's not. And so it's up to that pastor to be faithful for the long haul in that. So. We want to make sure that, that we're cultivating courage and perseverance in this work, that it's not going to be an overnight deal, and it's okay if there's only one or two people in this in this uh, work. 
And that comes to number five, which is probably the most tempting for me uh, personally, if I can just be transparent with you guys. There's too much wasted effort. Too much wasted effort. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, there's, there's a, a lapse in discernment. So, he says that pastors often don't discriminate between the serious and the half-hearted. Between those who truly strive and those who merely coast. Meaning that um, one of the key responsibilities in leadership is to invest your time strategically in those people that can multiply. And those people who are hungry, who are bearing fruit already, uh, and so spend significant time with them so that they can be mentoring, training others. The, mul- the ministry multiplies one person at a time. And so we, but often uh, pastors don't do this. They meet more with uh, those who are half-hearted. Now that raises a question, why is that? Why does that happen? You, you heard the term, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, I think is the way it goes. Lots of times, people with problems that are at a level 10 are coming to the pastor. They have no other recourse, and they need to meet, got to meet, and that's fine. That's part of our, that's part of our responsibilities as pastors. We've got to do that. But lots of times, that becomes all we're doing. We're responding to crises, we're trying to manage these problems, and we're not investing in the people that seemingly don't need it, right? Because they're growing. They're just, that's fine. They're doing well. They're not banging down our door, and so we're happy about that. We think our time is, we think we're doing well. But that's a lie because we, we need to be investing in the core so that the core can continue to invest at a faster rate and a, and a more mature rate. And so we want all the guys to be disciple, no matter where you're at in that spectrum. Whether you're the squeaky wheel or you're mature. So it doesn't matter. We want you to be discipled. But if we're going to train strong leaders, we've got to spend a focused amount of time working with a small core that's going to become really that unshakable nucleus in a church that's not moved about by every wind of doctrine that's helping. That it's sort of like the shepherding arm of the church just starts growing. And we start bringing in more people in terms of, of spiritual growth and maturity. Um, in that, because we're, we're we're replicating ourselves as we follow Christ, and it may just start with one dude. You know, if you think about it, kind of your particular situations, don't think I gotta disciple everybody. Start with one person, a couple people that are hungry, that are diligent, that are wanting to grow, and uh, and invest in them. And I just think about Jesus. I mean, sometimes this gets overlooked, but he had twelve guys. And he had a core of three. And he lived with those guys. He taught those guys. He gave them behind-the-scenes instructions all the time. And he invested in those 12 men. And those 12 men, obviously the foundation of the church, and those 12 men went out. And you see that model replicated. Think about the Apostle Paul. He invested in a few guys deeply. Think about Timothy, Titus, how those are guys we know about. Luke. He just replicated that um, in their lives. And those guys began, it was, it was sort of like the ripple effect of, of in the pond. You drop the, drop the stone and you see the ripples go out. So we're looking, you know, we're, looking, we're looking for faithful people. We want to make discerning choices of how to spend our time well in leadership so that we can, we can replicate a discipleship culture in our church. And so these are just some of the, some of the reasons as we, as we finish up, tie up this series, um, some of the reasons that 
uh, leaders aren't raised up. And it's just really important to sort of see, maybe assess us and see, okay, where are we weak in this? Where do we need to spend concentrated effort, maybe bring it back to center here? And um, and so just is in your own leadership spheres, think about that. Um, think about what <clears throat> what areas you might need to shore up here so that you can better um, either be a leader or aspire to, to leadership in various areas. So questions, comments? Got about five minutes ish. Years ago, Clay, I read a book by a man named F.F. Bruce, probably one of the best books on the discipleship I ever read. It's called The Training of the Twelve. And in the 500 and some pages in this book, he, he went through how Christ spoke to the large group and then the dedication of the time in the twelve, and then ends it up with the dedication of time in the three. Yeah. And how that works in the train, train others. Is, I think we could, uh, in, in the practical day-to-day operation of discipleship, I think if we look at what Moses did and how he uh, oversaw the people was through others that he assigned smaller groups to. Yeah. Those over the thousands, those over the hundreds, bringing it down to those over the tens that may be in leadership to look at. Okay, I know we've got half a dozen pastors and we're over about 500. Who do I? Who do we have under us that's looking after a hundred? Yeah. Or who do we have in the body that we've assigned to look after him? For sure. <laughs> yeah. So that, so that this work of discipleship could be more uh, uh, more successful. Right. Yep. Totally. That's, that's a good point. And we have two primary ways we do that at TVC. One is through our Sunday school classes. They're typically age, broken up by age. Not all of them are that way, but that's across the board typically what it is. And the other arm of that is through small groups. And so Sunday school is, is typically, or the, the equipping classes, whatever we're calling those, are more teaching focused, although there are relational elements to those. Um, people are cared for, shepherded, and that's really the primary arm of our church. We have the most people in that program, that discipling, you know, oversight program. And there's a sort of a twin arm that focuses more on application relationships, which are small groups or the prayer meeting, those kinds of things, where where we're shepherding in that that element too. So that's that's how we kind of break break our church up in smaller segments to make sure that we're keeping watch over the flock. Yeah, it's good insight. All right, guys, well, let's let's go ahead and, and close up here. Um, so just in terms of of homework, nothing nothing really new. Just make sure that you're you're identifying the areas that are an area or two. Uh, don't try to don't try to eat the whole elephant. Uh, identify an area or two that you want to work on. Um, ask the Lord to help you in that, and try to answer these hard questions. You know, of questions like, what situations in my life clearly reveal that I'm struggling in this area? You know, what what are the situations that the sin is manifesting itself in? And then, why do I struggle in this area? Why am I? Why am I? Why am I struggling here? What What do I desperately want that I'm not getting? Uh, what am I unwilling to surrender to Christ? What am I actively trusting in? 
What lies am I believing to, to lead me to sin in this area? Questions like that. So why do I struggle? What's the, what's the reason? And then think through the passages of Scripture that are going to help you combat that. If you don't know them, find somebody that can help you think through that. And, uh, and that's, that's the renewal of the mind process that needs, to, that needs to begin in this area. And then get a plan for how you're going to get that Scripture into your head. So when are you going to do that? When is it, how are you going to carve out time to make that a priority to, get, to let Christ's Word dwell in you richly? And then again, yeah, what more mature person is going to help you in that process? And then practically in that area, what, kind, what would obedience look like in the areas that I'm weak? So we need to know what we're aspiring to, right? So if we're going to, if we're going to change, we need to put the right practices in place. And then how am I going to measure that progress over time? Again, it's the Spirit working in you, but He works tangibly. So we want to see that progress measured over time. And we'll rejoice in Him for the growth, right? So uh, just ask yourself some of those hard questions and, and after you talk with your wife or your roommate. And let's get after it together. All right, let's pray. Father, thank You for our time. And we do pray uh, simply that You would energize us uh, in this work and accomplish it all for your glory. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.